everybody. Welcome to another podcast with the artist Simply. You can find it at artistsimply.podbean.com or now on iTunes. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you to Kurt behind the scenes. Today we're going to talk with Stan Miller. He's been teaching classes here for a number of years. Um, if you don't know me, I work at Spoken Arts Play. I'm co-host number one today. Uh, let's bring in co-host number two, Morgan. Hello. Hello. She's nice. famous for many other podcasts on the series. Well, many being one, which is also the artsy dweeb. And you can also find me at Artist Simply. I missed my chance to call her the artsy dweeb. Oh, okay. Awesome. So as we welcome him in, Stan Miller, we're going to ask him a little about his art, his teaching, and if there's anything he wants to get off his chest. We have a little fun near the end. Stan has been an artist for over 40 years. His resume includes a number of solo shows. Awards including most recently 2018's first place in portraiture for the Global Association of Watercolors. Stan writes for an array of periodicals and teaches both in person here at Spokane Arts Play as well as a growing number of other locations including California, North Carolina, and France. Ooh, that sounds great. And in two dozen plus YouTube videos you have one focused watercolor artist. Hello Stan. Hi. How are things? Very good. Good. So in doing a little research, um, you say, or you uh, line out, you started in South Dakota and moved to Spokane at the age of 15. Uh, you originally planned to be a PE major, you say, mm -hmm. and in college you started taking art classes and you eventually ended up with both a commercial and applied arts degree. Mm -hmm. You started both selling your art and teaching early in your career. It sounds like embracing art may have always been in the grand plan for you, but what was the event, the moment, the sale that, that kind of aha, was a moment or a week or a year that happened that you knew that you would be able to put away your whistle and your tight gym teacher shorts and embrace art. When, when did you know? <clears throat> well, I, first of all, I always enjoyed art. I think most kids do, but uh, in terms of earliest memory, I just remember probably from the time I was very young doing any kind of art was terrific. One of the influences of me getting excited about art was my older brother, uh, would draw and he he could draw he liked to draw cars and and mountains and roads and stuff and ships coming through the water like they were headed right at you and i would just watch him draw and go wow so i started to learn some of the basics of drawing and perspective from him then uh probably one of the biggest changes when i was young when i was seven my dad knew a uh friend of his uh, randy penner in Wisconsin was a full-time professional artist. He was married, lived in the woods. They had one or two children. And on our vacation, I had heard we were going to stop by there. And I remember uh, I remember getting out of the car, walking to this house, seeing it uh, sitting there as I approached it, the stone walkway, and I was I felt like I was going to God's house. I thought, I can't believe I'm actually going to a real artist's house. And as I walked up through the door and I looked to my left and the right, I wanted to see the paintings on the walls. And I saw the paintings and then I saw him and I met his wife, And but I was only seven and there were six of us kids. So the big concern was that we were gonna trash their house. But I saw the studio. I did find out I had evidently knocked a lamp over my mom's said. But seeing a real artist who made a living as an artist, I didn't, I didn't know any artists when I grew up who were practicing artists and did it full time. And so this really stuck with me. I thought it can be done and it stays with me to this very day. So that was when I was seven. So uh, going through middle school, I took uh, 
art classes. I took mechanical drawing. In high school, I took art classes and perspective. And then in college, I, uh, I didn't, still didn't think I'd be able to make a living as a, a regular painter artist. So I took, uh, I took uh, they had a three-year graphic design course out at Spokane Falls Community College. I took that, but while taking that, we also were required to take a number of classes in fine arts. So I took figure drawing, life drawing, uh, you know, oil painting, three years of oil painting, and ended up going there four years. And it was the last year where I really kind of got into watercolor, which is what I'm most known for. And I really enjoyed watercolor. So I graduated in 73 and I thought, uh, and I'd sold a few watercolors for like 10 bucks a piece in the bookstore. And I thought, I'm going to try to make a living as a, uh, as a watercolorist. So I, I bought my brother's car for a hundred bucks. I found a house to rent for $85 a month. This is back in 1973. I thought if I paint six days a week, 12 hours a day, and I do this for 10 years, and I can just pay my bills. I figured I need $200 a month. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if I'd be able to follow my dream and do what I want to do? And that's, that's what I did. Here I am. Can you rewind just a second and tell us? I'm very curious because I mm -hmm. listened in on when you were talking about that you also took three years of oil painting. Yeah. How did you decide that watercolor was your forte, that it was your love instead of oil? Well, uh, oil painting is very obedient. You put color down, it sits right there, and it, it doesn't move, it doesn't change color. Watercolor was very frustrating because you put it down, it moves. You put it down, it always looks brighter and more colorful when you first put it down. When it dries, it looks a little bit lighter, not as intense. So I hated watercolor, and, uh, and uh, but I didn't like oil. Oil was fine, it got straight A's, but oil for me was boring. I tell my students that painting in watercolor to me is like training your dog. Painting, I mean, painting in oil is like training your dog. Painting in watercolor is like training your cat. Mm -hmm. And I love cats, and I love a challenge. And oil. watercolor was constantly telling me, you can't control me. And that's what sucked me in. I loved this medium. I never knew for sure what was going to happen, and that's part of what pulled me into watercolor. Mm -hmm. You realize now that we're going to have to conduct a study of how many oil painters are dog people and right. how many watercolor yeah. people are cat people. Which may explain yeah. why Morgan likes watercolor. She's a cat person. Yeah. Yep, happen to love cats. And I like Doritos, so that it works <laughs> out well. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. Which means that he's not an artist. So the one question I have, your brother, that you originally saw and looked at his work and... Did he ever go into arts? Did you outpace him? No, he, he went into engineering, and uh, okay. uh, he didn't like it, so he didn't practice it. Uh, I think he graduated from WSU, and, and uh, but uh, no, uh, I, I'm one of seven, actually, mm -hmm. and uh, my younger brother, Scott, he was a graphic designer for Microsoft mm -hmm. during the heyday in the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. and then he went into uh, other aspects of the computer industry. My sister Lois in Coeur d'Alene is uh, not a professional interior designer, but man, she could have been incredible sense of design and stuff. And uh, my sister Carol likes poetry. She writes a lot of poetry. Not professionally, really. She's had some poems published. Uh, but um, yeah, I always liked the visual art world. And so, you know, that's the direction I went. And if a young person comes to you and says, I want to embrace art, go to college for art, is that advice you give? Do you say, hey, let's let's put 
I went for a music degree, and I don't use my music degree. I can be honest about yeah. that. And I kind of tell people, hey, go for a go for a marketing degree, but do the the part you like. You went for a commercial, which is very hands-on, very job-oriented. Yeah. Would you give a young person advice to follow their artistic dream, or? Well, I mentioned the book by Malcolm Gladwell called mm -hmm. Outliers. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who came up with 10,000 hours, and he analyzes all kinds of people, all kinds of situations, including the Beatles and how did they become so good, and hockey players from Canada, etc. And what he finds out with most professionals, there is kind of a general uh, 10,000 hours of practice before you start to become professional. And when I read that, I thought that's pretty true with myself as well. So when I somebody comes to me, and I do get emails uh, quite often, somebody's seen my work and, and they're thinking about you know trying to become a professional artist, and I tell them, the most important thing is not talent. The most important thing is you've got to have desire and you have to really want to make it happen and you have to settle in for the long haul. Uh, at least 10,000 hours of focused practice, not too much diversity. If you try oil painting, pastels, watercolor, portraits, landscape, abstract realism, that's too much diversity. It's like somebody wanting to become a good musician and they play too many instruments. Very hard to become really good at one if you're constantly trying all kinds of music and all kinds of instruments. Same thing with a lot of people approach me about wanting to become good, they're too diversified. They're trying all kinds of stuff. Very hard to become really good if you're all over the place. Interesting. In prepping for this, I, I watched a lot of your YouTube. Enjoy that. It's almost like watching a cooking show. You see everything mm -hmm. chopped up and explained and would be very cool to do. Um, you'd say in one of your videos that the hardest part of any artwork is the composition. If this is the case, speaking for the art store specifically, there are very few composition classes that fill. Right. Um, we, it's tough to fill that class. Should artists focus more on composition? Would, would that be part of your advice to get better on top of your 10,000 hours? Or is it something that you can, if you focus on the paint, focus on more specifics, can you build that? Do you think it would help artists? Well, composition as it relates to the artist is very similar to the role of composition in design and learning how to write. So if I'm teaching a beginning watercolor class or a beginning writing and reading class, if it's writing, I teach them how to make an A, a B, a C, a D and then write a word, and then a sentence, and then a paragraph. And I'm not going to mention composition to them for at least, uh, you know, 10,000 hours because they have to learn how to write really, really well before they're really going to understand the role of composition. And in painting as well, my beginners, I don't mention composition and design to them because it's too many balls in the air. It's like juggling. So with a lot of my students, I won't mention composition. But for my advanced students, I do get some advanced students, uh, and for them, in the end, composition in all arts, in music, in writing, in, in making movies, even in composing a great meal, it's composition is about making everything works with everything. Not one part stands out above it. You love the whole movie, you love the whole book, you love the whole painting. And the biggest weakness, I jury exhibitions and shows around the country, the biggest 
reason a painting gets rejected is they overdo one point of interest. They have one part of their painting that is much more dramatic and exciting than the rest of it. It's like if you have one, everybody comes out of the movie and says, yeah, that was the best part. That's not a good movie. Mm -hmm. The best movie is when they all like different favorite parts. The best meal is they all like different parts of the meal. That's good composition, and it's the hardest thing to teach. Hmm. They're my least lessons, one, two, and three on YouTube, are my least viewed uh, videos, and people don't understand them. Yeah. I mean, the comments, when you look underneath them, they say things like, there, I've watched them. <laughs> and it's probably a student I said you should watch this. So it's extremely hard to teach. It's just it's like music theory. If it, it's one thing to teach somebody how to play the piano, but when you start telling them to incorporate jazz with classical and then give me a 5/7 uh, time rhythm to it and have the composition evolve from a kind of a contemporary feel into classical hip hop. That's what that's the way you think in composition. That's a long ways away from just put your fingers on the piano key and play a simple song. So composition in all arts is the final frontier. It's very hard to teach. But if you are a great composer in making movies, in writing books, in painting pictures, you're going to become known. You will become uh, somewhat famous because the, the really best in their fields, they're master composers or master designers in, in all fields of art. Those are the ones you can't get to the top without being a, a brilliant at composition and design. That's that's the final frontier. Interesting. I had a, a um, when I was working towards my music degree, I had a in a composition class, one of the guys mm -hmm. said, you just go write, and then maybe the 10,000 hour theory, you just write and write and write, and for three years, everything you write is going to be bad. Yeah. And he goes, but someday you're going to figure it out, whether it's tricks, learning. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like the 10,000. And hours. you'll be able to figure out. Unfortunately, I couldn't stick with it at that time. Yeah. But, yeah, what do you do? It's tough, whether it's music, painting. Very, very few. I told somebody the other day, I have had, I think, two students in 40 years of teaching art in Spokane who have gone on to become professional painters two students and I've had thousands of students and why did they go on because they practice more than anybody else interesting they both quit their jobs and they started painting 40 50 60 hours a week uh, Don Clegg was one of them a friend of mine mm -hmm. within he only took lessons from me but he got it a very sharp guy he got it right away within three years he got I think he got uh, into the National Watercolor Society became a member and, and then Watson Guptill, I believe, did a book of still lifes on his work. The guy learned at an incredible rate, but the guy was painting six days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. He was, he was just painting like crazy. Those are always the best students. The ones who, there's so much passion for it. Degas, the great sculptor, when he finally got into art school, he was 16, 17, his friends would bring him food in the middle of the night because he wouldn't take a break to eat. That's passion, and that's what's behind Michelangelo's, the Rembrandt's, the people who are really good. They are so driven, they want to learn this so much that you have to get out of their way. And those are, the, those are my best students. The one, most students just do it as a hobby, which is fine. That means they're normal. They're probably happier than the rest of us. But for me, it's always been a passion. That's why I'm very passionate when I teach. I always assume my students want to become the next uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, so... Nice. Um, 
just take a quick moment here just for a quick uh, ad spot mention. Uh, as we mentioned, Stan does teach here at Spokane Art Supply. Uh, classes start up in September, January, and April, and they're two-day weekend work uh, two-day or weekend workshops throughout the year. Uh, check SpokaneArtSupply.com, StanMiller.net, both good places to go. Uh, just get exact times, details, and information if you want to jump in on a Stan Miller workshop. Very cool. All right. Going back to YouTube, I'm watching these videos. There's a portrait video, um, and it's it's truly like that cooking. You say you copy everything and you put every brush stroke in, and it's this detail. Mm -hmm. And you, in that video, you say you can use any blue, any red, any yellow to paint, mm -hmm. any brush, any paper. Why do you hate art stores? <laughs> Why well, don't hate art stores? But I have I have picked on art stores, and it's not so much the art store. I actually I love art stores because without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. But the the thing that frustrates me, <laughs> just about answer the question what's one of my get off my chest uh, here we go. Uh, would be um, people who are so in love with shopping for art supplies I had a student uh, kind of, an older woman she contacted me a couple of years ago and said Stan I've got a bunch of art supplies and why don't you come over here and if there's anything you want I'll give it to you so I go over to her house she just left a few miles away from me I go into her house, go into the back room. She had what I probably estimated ten to fifty thousand dollars worth of art supplies. She had a brand new art desk, still had plastic wrapped around it. She had whole sets of acrylics and oils, and she had brushes in cases, little uh, boxes that had never been opened. She had it looked like an art supply store. And I said, "What's going on here?" And she said, "I like to buy art supplies." But I'm thinking, well, how, that's great, but how, how much do you like to paint and use the art supplies? The key, th the key thing is art supplies are great, but if you are more in love with buying art supplies and painting, uh, I'm going, you know, that's being so in love with shoes that you never go out walking because you're too busy shopping for shoes, you know. Maybe she was using her 10,000 hours to, to, to shop. To shop. That was, that was what she was trying shopper. to get good at yeah uh, that's very cool um quick follow-up on that for any of you shoppers uh, we'll just make a mention uh stan does have a little set put together with five colors uh happens to be m gram color in that you put azo yellow cad yellow cad red light quin rose and thalo blue are those your favorite colors? Why did you why why did you pick those five to start with? Just out of curiosity. Well, I teach in my beginning class here on Tuesday nights. <clears throat> I introduce color to my students, and when I travel around the country as well, uh, the beginning understanding of color, the way I teach it, is just use red, yellow, and blue. And and with red, yellow, and blue, uh, if you're lucky, you can come up with a green, a purple, and an orange. And if you mix red, yellow, and blue together, you get various forms of browns and grays. So that's what I call establishing a skill to use what we call approximate or general color. So if you use any red, yellow, and blue, you're really in a ballpark understanding of using color. But then if you uh, specify which red, which yellow, which blue, then you can get closer to uh, just using three colors, pretty close to getting a lot of colors that you see all around us, including skin color, whatever. But uh, 
if a lot of people call like ultramarine blue, ultramarine is a very reddish blue. There's there's uh, Prussian blue or turquoise blue, which is a very greenish blue. So if you just grab any blue and you end up picking up a turquoise blue, you're going to find it nearly impossible. To, when you mix that blue with the red, you will not get purple because your blue has too much green in it. So when you go to a three-color system and you get like a phthalo blue and like a uh, just a cadmium red or a, a, just a... Uh, uh, quinacridone rose and then you get like an azo or a hansy yellow you're going to get a pretty good orange a pretty good purple and a pretty good green out of those three colors so then if you want to perfect that a little bit more you could move up to a five color system so my five color system i think has those three colors and it might have uh two reds and two yellows as well so then we can get with those five colors we can get probably 95 98 percent accuracy with just those five color systems the worst case is the nightmare which i see quite a bit is the student will show up in one case in this very room showed up with three full-size palettes covered with different colors all spread out on her table and i approached her the first day and i said let me guess are you frustrated with color and she just gave this big sigh she said how did you know and when you see somebody who has colors everywhere they are in color hell. They have no clue how to use color. So if you want to teach somebody color, you take away all their colors and you give them just red, yellow, and blue. Mm. Uh, the old printer systems, our printers, house uh, computer printers, red, yellow, blue, and black. Mm -hmm. Three color system with black. So you can get a lot of color if you have the right red, yellow, and blue. That's where you first, if you learn how to mix color using red, yellow, and blue, and then add colors to your palette, you're going to learn colors so much quicker than if you start out trying to buy all these colors and trying to figure out how to use them. Now, we here at Spokane Art Supply know that you love M. Graham watercolors, mm -hmm. and can you tell us anything as to why? What draws you to them or why they happen to be a favorite of yours? Well, uh, I like, well, I used to use uh, uh, Windsor Newton nearly exclusively for many years loved Windsor Newton and uh, but nearly all watercolors when they dry I'd paint outside on location <clears throat> summer day and uh, but they they get hard when they would dry Graham's put honey in their paint and the honey keeps the paint softer so I can have the paint sitting out there even with my palette wide open and it still retains a certain softness, which I love. That is what I really like. Plus, they're great colors. I think the guy started Graham's at one point worked for Windsor Newton. Grumbacher, yeah. Yeah, yeah one of the big Or Grumbacher, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in your palette, uh, approximately how many colors are on your palette? Now, I know you're not a beginner. You don't need the five. You've expanded to what you like. Well, most professionals, if you, I've met a lot of professional mm -hmm. watercolors uh, around the world traveling and stuff. I'd say the average one has maybe 8, 10, 12 colors. Very few will have more than that because if you get too many colors, you can't keep track of them. You have to know your colors really well. You have to know how they respond. So you try to, I probably have 10, 12, 14 colors I use at the most. And, uh, and I never want more than that because you can't keep track of them. And once you can no longer understand how each color you have is going to interact with your other colors, hmm. and if you have... 20 or 30 you can't do that you have sure. way too many and hardly any professional would have that many colors now pastel is different pastel you have to have a lot of color but in um, oils or watercolors 
Oils, you'd have to have a little bit more. Watercolor, you mix some more than you do in oil and in pastel. Interesting. Do you have white on your palette? Yeah, I use white. Yeah. Do you have black? I have black, but I don't use black in my normal. My beginners use black or a paints gray, mm-hmm. and we paint for three weeks just using black, so they can concentrate on what I call the foundation principles of painting, and that is, you have to get the drawing right, and you have to get the values right. Values are much, much more important than color. And uh, and then once they can learn how to get the values correct, then we move into the three color system. Um, again, just as a quick side note, that set is on sale for $53 free shipping, if, if anybody is interested. It's a nice little set. Um, um, in another video, you say that uh, it's your video on color, and you have an apple and a banana, and you actually physically move it around your house, different right. light sources and the, and the like. And you say there's no standard color for anything and that all colors change. How do you decide if you say, hey, I'm doing the still life, and you're, you're making it something, or if you're out, on, out painting outside, how do you decide which color goes where? Are you trying to copy exactly what you see to, to build, boom, there it is, I'm going to paint it? Do you say, I like this color right now, and, I, and as you say, value is very important. I want to do contrast values and a point of interest. Does that trump what you see, or how do you approach that? Well, and speaking of color, uh, <clears throat> this also ties into getting it off my chest. Uh, nice. You might say, and that is that everywhere I go, everybody is in love with color and technique. And this is a bit of an exaggeration, but not too much. In terms of creating a powerful painting, color and technique are the two most in, unimportant issues that you should pursue. Hmm. If, you, if I tell my students, if you pursue everything else and do them with high expertise... You know how to draw like Michelangelo. You understand values like uh, Rembrandt. You, uh, you understand how light can create mood. You pick subjects that have a powerful message. You arrange your painting in a way in which it's incredible design. And then paint with whatever color you want. Paint with your left foot. Paint with your shoe. Paint with your right elbow. And all you're going to hear for the rest of your life, people are going to be in love with your color and your technique. Hmm. Because when everything else is strong, the way the average person responds to it is, that painting is really striking me. It must be the color. It's usually the last reason why you like the painting. It's a big illusion. People think the color is the reason they like a painting. No, it's everything else. So I don't pursue color. I don't try to make getting the right color uh, an important thing. I just, as long as it's generally okay. But the thing I hear the most about my work is everybody, uh, I post a portrait on uh, YouTube or Instagram. Everybody wants to know what colors they use. You know, I, in fact, at one point, <laughs> I posted a portrait that happened a few years ago. And I really, it was, I did the whole painting using red, yellow, and blue. And it looked very real, flesh tones and everything. And somebody said, what colors did you, uh, you use? And I said, red, yellow, and blue. And he, he said, spoke a little profanity and ended it with you. <coughs> and, uh, and I sent him a message. I said, really, I used red, yellow, and blue. You ought to give it a try. 
and he tried it. I think he'd got, he says, wow, that's amazing. It works. And he says, I really apologize for what I said. I'd had a bad day. So, but yeah, pursuing color and technique is talk about going down the wrong road. Uh, I don't know any good artist who pursues color and technique as a high priority. That's not what you chase. It's like, it's like you're learning how to write and your goal is to have beautiful penmanship. Instead of wanting to be a great writer, your goal is to have beautiful penmanship. So everybody would say you have beautiful penmanship. No, your goal should not be to have beautiful penmanship. It's nice if you do. It's nice if you have nice color and technique. But if you have books that shake the world, if you tell stories that change people's way of looking at life, you, you've done something. But when you're constantly trying to create pretty technique and color, you're going nowhere. Hmm. That's not going to lead to anything. That's my opinion, anyway. Very cool. Um, speaking of books, anything that you've read lately that you enjoyed? I like I like anything to do with art books. Uh, uh, one of my favorite books was uh, about Rodin, Naked Came I. It's an old book, uh, but you know, a sculptor, but uh, just his, uh, you know, his his hunger to, uh, mm. you know, to, to become good at art. I, and Agony and the Ecstasy about Michelangelo. Uh, I think that was written by Irving Stone. Um, and uh, Pride and Glory, I think, was about Monet and the Impressionists. Uh, there's another movie out called Pride and Glory, but this one is from quite a while ago. And... Uh, <clears throat> uh, but I like I like art books. I've read nearly any book written about Andrew Wyeth, who's probably one of my favorite artists, American painter Andrew Wyeth. So is it safe to say that the Pride and Glory you're referring to is not the cop drama? It is, in fact, the art. Pride and uh, yeah, I probably have the title wrong, but I thought it was called Pride and Glory because the the French Impressionists it starts out with Monet in the 1850s and 60s. They are trying to establish themselves as a totally unique and different way of approaching painting. Impressionism. They were accused of not finishing their paintings. One of the things they were trying to establish was a pride. They wanted to have pride in their work. They wanted their fellow French citizens to have pride. And they wanted some recognition and glory for what they were doing. And they were getting very little recognition. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a great book, whatever it's called. So... Just uh, in a nutshell, as a as a quick wrap up question, um, have you noticed a change in the forty years that you've been doing art? You say originally you sold two paintings in the bookstore. Um, this world of prints, giclées, uh, digital artwork. Uh, do you have any advice for the artists? Uh, go try to license your stuff, sell originals. Do you have some success? Do you have something that you've found that has worked? Well, I can only speak for myself. I'm a realist. I do a lot of portraits and landscapes. And uh, the market for my kind of work is dramatically diminished because the buyers of my work throughout my career were the baby boomer generation. And they not only did they like art, they liked all kinds of stuff. They liked big houses. They liked pots and and all they just were the best shoppers in the world the younger people today maybe they don't have quite the money they're not interested in huge homes they're not interested in in filling their homes with expensive artwork so it makes it really hard to to sell your work today so uh i all these baby boomers now want to learn how to paint though so i've shifted i'm doing a lot more 
teaching and uh, I don't sell as much. I don't try as hard to sell my work anymore, but it's pretty tough. So I wouldn't, in terms of other artists, for me, prints don't sell very much. Uh, my work's real popular, but nobody wants to buy it, so I don't know why that is. So, thank you, Stan. Thank you. Bet. Awesome. Love picking your brain there. Um, you had a couple of rants. Um, so, is there anything else that you wanted to wanted to give you a full chance to get those rants to get that in church? We call it the um, praise or prayer, good or bad. Uh-huh. Right. So, if there's anything that you want to add to the to the mix in your rants. No, I think I've already done that a little bit. Definitely. I just want to say that uh, I tell I teach eighth graders on Fridays, fourteen year olds, and I love teaching oh. them. And I always tell them. I said, your parents may not want to hear this, but I say, follow your dreams. Do not give up on your dreams. Go for it. Don't let your parents or anybody tell you not to do it. I mean, for me to do what I did, it was a crazy dream, but I absolutely love my life. If I lived it again, I'd hopefully live it the same way. Uh, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. So you're going to basically come back a year from now and have a whole classroom of YouTubers. Yeah, That's okay. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, right, okay. Well, yeah, follow your dreams. Whatever it is, go for it. Well, I have a 14-year-old at home. I'll tell him yeah. His, his dream so far, I think, is Mountain Dew and uh, yeah. his own YouTube video. So we'll see. Or a YouTube channel. Yeah. I've got 65 subscribers, so go for it. <laughs> and I wasn't even trying to create a channel. I was just posting watercolor lessons, so it's taken off pretty good. That's very cool. So to finish up, uh, much like the actor's studio finishes with their 10 questions, the following six questions are based on an Azerbaijani spoken uh, spoken word artist, Salman Kedvudlo's 86 questions from Baku. What we'd like to ask these questions of you, just quick, uh, just whatever comes to the top of your mind. One, what is your favorite color? I love all colors equally. I always tell my students, that's like asking a pianist, what's your favorite piano key? Okay, uh, I believe that is wrong, yeah. but no. Yeah, right. um, if you could create a piece of art for one famous person, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, I don't have a clue. Nothing, nothing pops in. What is keeping you up at night? Uh, a bad TV show. <laughs> Which leads into the next question, what's the last thing you binged? Binged? Uh, pizza's my great weakness, I love pizza. Uh, your order for your last meal? You may have just answered it already. But order was... Uh, no, for if it's your last meal, it's your... You're being dragged off. Oh, you mean the, like uh, your last, death last row? Meal. Yes. Oh, it'd be pizza. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah pizza. okay. We can probably answer pizza for a lot of these. And yeah. if the world goes back to black and white, all visual art is shelved, what would you do to fill the void? Well, a lot of great... Uh, Ansel Adams, black and white photographer, one of a great work. I'm not sure if that's what you mean, but uh, that's if, yeah. if black they, and white, you can still have powerful art that changes the world, even if you don't have color. Yes, and Stan, thank you for agreeing to you bet. have a, a podcast meeting with us. And again, Craig, thank you for helping Helm this interview today. Hopefully I'll push my way into a few more of these and we'll have some fun. Um, we're going to try to do a little NPR. You're speaking of NPR, like a yeah. wait, wait, don't tell, something yeah, uh, right. show-y. It should be, yeah. should be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. You bet. I wish you well.